Hello and welcome to Church Online. I'm so glad that you're part of the Cultivate Church Online experience today. If you're watching for the very first time as a part of Cultivate Church, we want to welcome you and honor you as our guest today. Thank you for spending time with us. I also want to encourage you today to take a moment and fill out that virtual connect card. We would just love to know that you were a part of our online experience today. We're continuing our series, Summer Sundays, and I'm super excited about today's message. Matthew Powers, a part of our teaching team here at church, is gonna be speaking to you today, and he has an incredible message. Hey everyone, I just want to thank you for letting me hang out with you guys today. I'm so honored to be able to do so. But if I gotta be honest, I miss everybody. I hate that we're not able to meet together right now. And I just miss seeing everyone's smiling faces. I miss us being able to worship together. I miss the sound of the drums. I just miss for all of us to be together, to experience the presence of the Lord and the amazing things that He does whenever we are together. I miss the fist bumps. I miss the high fives. You know, right now in the chat, whatever platform you're on, go ahead and high five each other. I mean, we are at church this morning. We may not be one church in two locations meeting at one of our two campuses, but we are still one church and we're meeting all over the place. And that's the amazing part of this is anyone from all over the world has access to this right here, right now. So anyone from all over the world can jump in and be a part of our Cultivate Church family, and I'm just so excited for that. And I want to be able to welcome them in with open arms. As we are still in our series, Summer Sundays, it's been just an awesome series, and I know summer's kind of winding down for a lot of us. School's going to be starting soon, and I know there's a lot of uncertainty there. We're not quite sure how it's going to be, what it may look like. I know there's still decisions that need to be made there, but we're going to all get, it, get through it together. And for all of us, the, the vacations with the families, the weekend getaways, the trips, trips to the beach, that's all starting to wind down for us as well. And for me and my family, we're big beach people. Any opportunity that we have to go to the beach, we're going to try and take advantage of that. It doesn't really matter how long or how, how short or how far away the trip may be. We're going to try and take advantage and do that. My wife Monica and I, many, many years ago, lived in Tampa, Florida. And one of the huge advantages of living in Tampa is being so close to the beach. So most weekends, we'd pick at least one day and we would go to the beach. Our favorite beach was Treasure Island Beach at St. Pete Beach. And just like any other weekend where we're going to the beach, we have the car all packed up, we're ready to go. And we're cruising across the Howard Franklin Bridge, which is one of the three major bridges that connects Tampa with St. Pete and Clearwater. And as we're going across the bridge, we see brake lights, the dreaded brake lights. We know we're about to get in some traffic and. The bad part about being in traffic on a bridge is there's really no way around it. So we just have to get through it together very slowly, but we're going to get through it. And as we're getting through the traffic, we can look ahead and we see this car and the car's just driving all over the place. He's weaving in and out of traffic. He's very stop and go, slamming on his brakes. And he's just driving very reckless, very erratic, very unsafe. And whenever we get up a little closer to him, I just give him a little honk. 
Nothing serious. You know, there's honking language. It wasn't one of those long, drawn-out honks. I wasn't trying to be rude or anything. Just a nice little honk, just saying, hey, whenever I did that, I got to experience road rage firsthand. That simple little honk just threw this guy off the edge. I mean, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Whenever he heard the honk, he looked over towards us, and he starts screaming and yelling, and it's hot outside, so we have the windows up, and we can still hear everything he's saying. And he's calling us every name under the sun. He's kind of hanging halfway out of his window, and I don't just get one bird. He gives us the double bird action, and it was that reaction to the honk that caused him to do this. He lost complete control. He had lost all focus of what was going on and where he was. I believe he had no idea really what was happening because all of his anger, all of his rage was focused right there on us. And in the very last second, he kind of realized where he was again, and he slammed on the brakes at the very last moment and almost slammed into the truck that was in front of him. He came maybe from a foot or running into him. And as we just cruised by, it was just kind of wave and go. But it was his simple little reaction, that reaction that could have been catastrophic for not just him, but the car he ran into and all the people around him. And that's what I want to talk about today is our reactions. In the world that we're living in today, in this current season that we're in with everything that's going on in the world around us, how our reactions affect not just us, but they can affect people all around us, our families, people we work with, our church, everybody. And I want to talk about a reaction versus a response and how those two things seem very similar, but really very different. You see, a reaction is often very emotional, it's very feelings-based. We don't think about it. It just kind of happens. We see something. We experience something. Something happens to us, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction where whatever comes out, comes out. But the difference in that and a response is a response to a predetermined course of action of what I'm going to do. It's saying I've already made a decision that no matter what I see, what comes at me, what I may experience, who says something to me, who posts something about me, and I'm going to take whatever that is, I'm going to do my best to take it through a filter before anything comes out. I want it to be a positive response instead of a negative reaction. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into the message. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for everything that you do for us. I just want to thank you for us being able to gather together virtually and online and just pray for everyone who hears this message today that we can open our hearts, we can open our minds and just receive your word today. Whatever it is that you want to tell us that we just receive that in and we can go out into the world and, and affect the people around us positively and we can live for your goodness and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to talk today about David. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you probably know who David is. You've heard of King David, David versus Goliath. He slayed the giant the David that wrote a lot of the Psalms, the anointed one, the mighty King David. And David did a lot of amazing things. He did some great things. But we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 today. And we're going to talk about a story that David is probably not really proud of. It's a moment where he made a decision on his own to do something that was a little out of character. We're going to talk about the consequences of that decision and his reaction to the consequences and how they affected not just him, but all the people who are involved, all the people in his family, all the people around him. So if you look in your Bibles at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. 
However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And I want to pause right there for just a moment and really work through this scripture and see what happened. You see, when an army would go to war, and this time, typically the kings would go out to war to lead the army. That's just like today, if the United States went to war, the president would go and lead the army. Same thing with any country in our world. If they go out to war, the leader is going to be there to lead them. But in this case, when David would normally go out to war in the spring of this year, he made the decision that he was going to stay behind in Jerusalem. You know, it's like David just decided, you know what, it's been a rough couple of months. Joab, they can handle this. It won't be a big deal. Nothing's going to happen. I just, I need some time to myself. I need to recharge my batteries. I just need some meantime. I know I would normally go to war. I know I'm expected to go to war. I know that's what God has called me to do, but I'm just not feeling it right now. And to put that in the context of us here today, for some of us, a typical Sunday morning, we wake up, we get ready, and we go to church. But I'd be like us waking up on a Sunday morning and just deciding, you know what? I'm just not feeling it today. It's been a really rough day at work this week. I would normally go to church, but I just, I don't feel like doing it today. I just need some me time. I need some time to rest. You know what? Wife, you and the kids, you guys go ahead. Y'all go on out, go on to church. And when you get back, I'll be home. I just need some me time today. I know people are expecting me to be there. I know I would normally serve, but I just need time for myself today. Everyone will understand it. God will understand it. He knows what kind of week I have been through this week. So your wife and kids, they go ahead and they go off to church and you're just kind of sitting at home, not really sure what to do. So you turn on the TV, you start watching TV and a Sunday morning, there's nothing on TV at all. So you turn it off and what do a lot of us do when we're just kind of sitting, not doing anything? We pick up our phones and we start scrolling through social media. Whatever the platform is, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever it is, we just start scrolling. It's like you're sitting at home, your family's at church, and you're just scrolling through Instagram, taking some time for yourself. And you see, oh, they're at church this week. Oh, church looks amazing. Man, I kind of wish I was there. Wow, I'm glad to see that person is doing better. And wow, I can't believe they're on vacation again. It seems like they're on vacation every single week. And you just kind of keep scrolling, and then all of a sudden, it just hits you. Like, wow. I've never seen her before. And you see a picture of someone that you don't know who it is, but it, it catches your eye. And you're sitting there home alone doing something you wouldn't normally do. And you decide, you know what, I just I gotta find out who this is. I don't even know how she got here. So you click on the profile and you look, you see more pictures. And before you know it, you're looking through the pictures and you're just scrolling. And you went down a path that you never intended down to go to. You didn't wake up that morning making the decision that this is what I'm going to do today, it just kind of happened because we made a decision of something that we wouldn't normally do. We got outside of the path that we've been walking on and it just kind of happened and it's a decision that could be detrimental to not just yourself but your family, your marriage, your kids, your job, whatever it may be, just from simply not doing what we are normally would do or what we would be called to do. And I just wanted to ask ourselves today in the season that we're in, what am I not doing today? that I would normally do? What is it that I have put off that I would normally do that I know is good for me, but I just, I've been a little lazy if I'm being honest. I just haven't been able to do it. I've been blaming the pandemic on not being able to do this or do that. So what are we not doing today that we should be doing? We'll pick back up in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse two, and we'll see what David does. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. So David, he thinks everything's great at this point. 
You know, he's not at war like he should be or like he would normally be, but everything's good. Joab, they're killing it out there. They're doing great things in the war, and I'm just kind of hanging back. I'm taking the time to myself. I'm relaxing. I'm recharging the batteries, and he wakes up from his afternoon nap because he's had just such a rough day, watched a few episodes of The Office, ate a big breakfast, and he walks out on the roof of his palace, a lot like we are here today, and he's overlooking everything that's going on, and he's thinking to himself, you know what? This is pretty great. Everyone's doing their thing. Everyone's working. Everything is going on just like I planned. Everything's working just as I thought that it would. And he looks out and he's thinking, man, I'm just so smart. I don't know why I didn't do this long ago. And then in the rest of verse 2, it says, As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And in verse 3, he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. So it's like David was doing what he thought was right. He do, was doing what he thought was okay. There was no harm in it, and he, he just clicked on that picture. And then in verse 5, it says, Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So David made a decision to not do what he would normally do. And whenever he did that, he made another decision to bring Bathsheba to the palace. And at this point, he still thinks, you know what? Everything's okay. Everything's working how it should. He's just sitting back on his couch, watching a movie, eating pizza. And he gets a message from Bathsheba. He sees he has the text from her. And he's thinking, oh, it's Bathsheba. So he opens it up to see what it is. And it just reads, I'm pregnant. And then just like that, in an instant, everything changed. His decision to just not go to war has changed everything. And it's at this moment his stomach is up in his throat and he begins to freak out. He's panicked. He has no idea what he's going to do. So he reacts in a way to the consequences of his decision and thinking, how am I going to fix this? What can I do to make this go away? What can I do to pretend that this never happened? What can I do so her husband Uriah never finds out what happens? See, oftentimes when we make poor decisions, it leads to panic. We know it's the wrong decision and then something happens. A consequence happens that we didn't necessarily expect, and we begin to panic and make more bad decisions. We'll pick right up in verse 6. It says, Then David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. In verse 8, Then he told Uriah, Go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he left the palace. So here's David's decision of, Here's how I can make this better. Here's how I can pretend as if this never happened. I'm going to bring Uriah home. I'm going to get him to spend some time with Bathsheba. I'll butter him up a little bit. Uriah, man, you guys are doing so great out there. You're just slaying it. You're such a warrior. I'm so proud of what you guys are doing. This is just so great. Do you need anything? Is there anything you'd like to take home with, take back with you? If there's anything we can do for you, just let me know, and it's yours. But go home, relax, spend some time with that beautiful wife of yours. You have earned it. You deserve this. And in verse 9, but Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance in the king's palace guard. And when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And then in verse 11, Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. How could I go home and wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swore I would never do such a thing. So David's plan backfired. 
when he reacted to the news that Bathsheba was pregnant, this was his brilliant idea. You know what? I'll just bring Uriah home. It'll take care of it. We'll pretend as if this never happened. No problem. But when that plan failed, he comes up with an even worse plan. And in verse 12, David tells him, well, stay here today. And tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David, here's his brilliant idea. Here's her genius plan. First plan didn't work, but this is sure to work. David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. And again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So again, David's decision and his reaction has led to another just terrible decision. David is just spiraling out of control. He doesn't know what to do. He is worried. He is panicked. His first plan failed, and now his second plan has backfired. And we'll see in verse 14 what David has done. This is, this is David's reaction to the two failed plans. And in verse 14, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. David, 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 what, what are you doing? David's plan was that his plans didn't work. So he decides to have Uriah killed. His shame and his guilt of what's going on, his reaction to what happened, he ends up killing Uriah. And there was no crime against Uriah. Uriah had done nothing wrong. He was just married to Bathsheba, but David just couldn't stand to face the consequences of his decision. So he had the man killed. And when he did that, other Israelite soldiers died as well. Same thing, that didn't have to happen. I've got to believe that, that David didn't have any advisors or anyone who was truly close to him who really knew what was going on because you would think they'd have to say, David, this is a terrible idea. We can get through this. We just need to be honest. We will make it through this just fine. Just trust yourself. Trust everything. Leave it to God. And I know this is an extreme circumstance, but when we look back at our lives, we've all made poor decisions. And oftentimes we will try to hide it, so we'll try to suppress it. We'll try to not let many people know what happened. Whenever we do that, that plan will always backfire because what we do in the dark will always come out into the light, no matter what it is, good or bad. You do it in the dark, it will come out into the light. And right now in 2020 with what's going on, the light is shining brightest in social media. Right now we're seeing people react to what they're reading, to the news, to what they're seeing, to people's posts, to comments, just to what's going on in the world. We're seeing that all over social media and people are reacting in a way that, that we see an online personality not as someone who is offline anymore. We see them as something different. And there's so many times where we see something, but we just don't have it in us to go talk to someone about it and have a true discussion. We're sitting there with web muscles behind our keyboard, just tapping away to see what is going to happen. And why do we do that? We do it for the reactions. We do it for the likes. We do it to try and get our point across. We get it to, to make people try and see what we're seeing. But we do it in such a way that it, it hurts people and it divides people and it pushes people away. And when we're doing it for the likes, when we do it in a way where we're just trying to please people, 
we will never be able to please God when we're trying to just please people. And right now, we've all reacted in ways that we wish we, we wouldn't. I mean, just look at the current state of the world today. In our online profile and who we are online, that's becoming our identifier. That's becoming who we are now. When people see us, it's, oh, she's the one who posts all the funny videos. Oh, that's the guy who's always picking fights with everyone. Oh, she's the one with all the political memes. Oh, that's the guy who always has all the forwards. And that's who we've become. For me, I'm just a 37-year-old bald white dude who graduated from Alabama. I love baseball, and I love the Boston Red Sox almost as much as I do my own kids sometimes. They may rip my heart out, but I love the Red Sox. But none of that, when you look at me, I want to be my identifier. I don't want people to look at me and say, oh, it's the Red Sox fan, the poor soul. Oh, that's the bald dude. No. When people look at me, I want my identifier to be Jesus, that whatever I'm doing, that hopefully it points people in that direction. That way when they see me, it's, oh, I see Jesus in him. I'm a Christian and a believer in Christ first and foremost. I just happen to be a bald 37-year-old white guy who graduated from Alabama, loves baseball, and loves the Boston Red Sox. That's just characteristics of me, but that is not what identifies me. And that needs to be a way that we try and look at every aspect of our life is how are we identified? Are we identified in a way where we are pointing people in the direction of Jesus? What are we doing right now to be able to do that? How can we respond in ways when things happen to us where whatever we do, it's going to point people in that direction? Let's look and see what David did. David did three things in how he responded to what was happening and what was going on in his life at this time to be able to get back to the plan that God had for him. So the first thing that David did is he repents. He repents of what's happened. He confesses to what he's done. At this time, he's realized what a terrible mistake he has made. He had Uriah murdered. Other soldiers died because of his decisions. And he repents. And he thinks it's over at this point. He thinks that God is going to strike him down. He's going to take everything from him because he sinned against God. He turned his back on him. He felt like he betrayed him. And Nathan the prophet shows up, and at this time, David thinks, well, this is it. David's going to come, or Nathan's going to come to me and tell me this is, it's over. This is how it's going to end. And look what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David confesses to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for your sin. He confessed to Nathan. He confessed to what he did. Matthew 3, 2 says, repent of your sins and turn to God. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Have those accountability partners. Have someone in your life who you can go to when you're struggling. That's why we believe in small groups so much around here. I know it has been an odd last six months where small groups hasn't been what small groups normally are. And I know some small groups have been meeting virtually, and that's amazing to be able to do so. It's amazing to be able to have those relationships to do, to do that. Nearly two years ago, we started a small group for working out within the church. And at first, it just kind of started as a silly small group that works out together. But over the last, on nearly two years, it'll be two years in December, real strong relationships and bonds have formed. There's not a day that doesn't go by where we don't speak to each other in some way, whether it's through a group message, text message, phone calls, whatever it may be. So you have that close group of people that you can go to when you're struggling with something, when you see something, when someone says something about you, when something happens to you, they can help be your filter whenever you're struggling with something. 
It's having that accountability. Salvation will come through Jesus, but healing comes through community. And it's so important for us to be able to have the people around us to do that. Whenever we make the poor decisions that we make sometimes, oftentimes we'll try and retreat. We'll try and step back. We'll try and isolate ourselves because we feel like that's the right thing to do. And that's not at all intended what, what we should do or what God has for us. So the first thing David does is he repents. The second thing that David does is that he worships. David and Bathsheba had the baby. It was a little baby boy. They had a son together. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20 through 23, we'll see what David does right after his son died. David worshiped. It says, then he got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. When he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord, and after that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they said. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped mourning and are eating again. And David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. And in verse 23 is big. He said, but why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. David realizes that he needs to get back on that path that God intended for him because he wants to be able to see his son one day. And I know that it's easy to worship the Lord when everything is good. That's easy for us to do. When the job is good and the family's good and the wife is good, the bank account's good, you have vacations and things at the house are good. When everything is good, it's so easy to say, all glory to God. God, you are so good. Praise Jesus. That makes it easy. But when the bottom falls out of your life, sometimes it can be difficult to continue to worship. It's our human nature to pull back and to retreat and to blame God and to not understand why and feel like we're so distant from Him and just pull away from everybody. But David didn't do that. He didn't blame God. He continued to worship. So how does David begin to respond? First, he repents. Secondly, he worships. And then the third thing he does is he returns. David returns to what he was meant to do. He would, returns to what he would normally do. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 26 through 29, says, Meanwhile, Joab was fighting against Rabbah, the capital of Ammon. And he captured the royal fortifications. Joab sent messengers to tell David, I have fought against Rabbah and captured its water supply. Now bring the rest of the army and capture the city. Otherwise, I will capture it and get credit for the victory. So in verse 29, David gathered the rest of the army, went to Rabbah, he fought against it, and he captured it. David went back to war. David went back to doing what he would normally do. He confessed, he repented, he worshiped, and he returned to doing what God had called him to do. Now, could all this have been avoided if David would have just done what he would have normally done in the first place? Yeah, probably so. None of this would have happened if David would just have normally gone to war in the spring of that year like he would always do. But he made that decision not to. And that made a consequence. And then he reacted to the consequence in such a way that he took a man's life. I think for all of us, we wake up every morning, we want to do good things. We want good things to happen for us and the people around us and our families. We don't wake up deciding we want to make bad decisions and poor decisions. But we have this thing called free will, where we're able to make any decision that we want to make. And sometimes we make poor decisions. We're human. We're going to get it wrong some of the times. 
But I think for all of us, we want to make those good decisions. And we all have these self-imposed ceilings in our life. Well, we want good things. We want to get to the next level. But sometimes we, we feel like we're just pressing against the ceiling and we can't do it. For whatever reason, we just can't get past what we're going to get past to just receive the blessings that God has in store for us. And a lot of it, a lot of it is, is because we're worried so much about other people's opinions. We're worried so much about pleasing other people. Everyone has an opinion. And I mean everyone. The important thing for us is making sure that we're living for the only opinion that actually matters. That opinion is the opinion of Jesus. We need to let Jesus be our filter. That whatever may happen to us, whatever we may see, whatever we may experience, that instead of reacting to that, we can bring it through our filter, which is Jesus, and respond in a way that Jesus would respond. I mean, there's filters on everything right now. There's apps, there's Snapchat, there's Instagram, there's everything. There's all sorts of crazy filters out there. There's the one that makes you look old, the one that makes you look like a baby. There's the cat one, the dog one, the one where you open your mouth and you have a rainbow coming out. There's all sorts of different filters. So we have all these filters in the world. Which filter are we going to choose? Are we going to choose the filter of Jesus? The other night after dinner, my family and I were sitting down, and it was that night that the explosion happened in Beirut, the tragic explosion that, that killed and hurt so many people. And as we were watching videos and different angles and seeing pictures and reading stories and just gathering information about it, our kids were very, very interested. We have an eight-year-old little boy named Cash and a six-year-old little girl named Elkie. They were very interested. They were asking a lot of questions. They were wanting to see what was going on, and we were doing the best we could to answer the questions they had. But what happened with our daughter, whenever she saw the pictures, she took it all in. She didn't react to it by running off and crying or being upset or just run away or being completely indifferent about it. And I've got a picture that I'd like to show you what her reaction was. She took it all in, she fell down to her knees, she covered her eyes, and it took us about 10 or 15 seconds to realize what was going on, but she was praying. She was praying for what she saw, for people that she'll never meet, for a place across the world that she couldn't even point out on a map, she can't even say it, she doesn't know where it is, for a place that she'll probably never ever even visit. But something struck a chord in her and she decided to respond in a way that I'm going to go to the only one that I know who can help these people, and that's by praying. And she laid on the ground for a minute or two and was just praying for all these people and what was happening. And I thought, I don't know if I will ever be that good. I admire to be that in whatever situation that I see, that I'll be able to take it through a filter of Jesus and respond in that way. I think back to the late 1990s and the early 2000s, WWJD. Everyone had the what would Jesus do bracelets. And if we can think our steps in that way when something happens to us, well, what would Jesus do? And try and use that in our filter. We'll see Jesus responds with love. Whatever may happen to us, whatever it may look like, Jesus is going to respond with love. And that is the best way for us to respond. And again, we're not going to get it right every time, but we can do our best to respond with love just the way Jesus would. So when people look at, look at us, they will see Jesus. Because there's nothing in this world, absolutely nothing, that can keep us from Jesus except us. That little thing, free will, I just talked about. We have decisions that we can make on our own. But whenever we need Jesus, 
He'll always be there for us. We just have to turn to Him. We just have to repent to Him, and He'll be there for us. I want to leave you with a scripture from Proverbs chapter 3, it's verse 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. In all ways, submit to Him. And I know that can be difficult a lot of the time for us. It's easy to make Jesus our Savior, but not our Lord. We'll give Him some stuff, but I can't let you have my money. I work way too hard for that. Or you know, I'll give you everything, but not my marriage, because it's between me and my wife. That is sacred. But to submit in all ways to help keep us on the path that God has intended for us. For every single one of us, we have a sphere of influence. We have people who look to us for leadership, no matter what that may look like, if it's in the church, if it's at school, if it's at work, if it's in our own home, in our own families, whatever it may look at like, people are looking to us. And true leadership is response. True leadership is not reaction. We have to be able to respond in a way that Jesus would. You know, when we were in traffic that morning on our way to the beach and we gave the honk and the man just lost his mind on us, as I look back at that, I think, you know, I don't really know what he was going through. There's anything he could have, been, could have been going through at the time. And oftentimes when we react in a way like that, we have a lot on us. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety, depression. It's all real, and we just let it pile up on top of us. And that could have been the case for him. For all I know, he could have just lost his job. Maybe he got a bad health diagnosis. Maybe he's going through a nasty divorce. Perhaps he's in financial trouble. Maybe his relationship with his kids is, is soured, or maybe they're in trouble for some reason. I don't know what it was, but I think if he were able to look back at that situation, he'd agree, man, I reacted in a way that I'm not proud of. But the thing is, whenever we gave that little honk, it wasn't to draw attention to him. It wasn't to call him out at all. I was essentially just trying to get his attention to invite him into the space that was in front of us that we had left open so he could get in front of us and pass the trucks that were in front of him. But it was because of his reaction to the honk, he never saw the invitation that we were giving. He never saw what we were trying to do for him. And I just think to myself, and I think we all need to think this, how many times have I missed an invitation from God because I reacted, I was not prepared to respond. I ask you that you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, and we're going to pray. And Maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know what, I, I have some things that I would like to filter through Jesus instead of my own filter. You know, I don't really even have a relationship with Jesus. I don't even know what that would look like. But you say he's right there. I just, I don't know. I've done a lot of stuff. I've made bad decisions. I've reacted in really, really poor ways before. But I would love the opportunity to be able to filter whatever happens through Jesus and see what can come out the other side. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment that will allow you to begin that relationship with Jesus. Father, we love you, and we are so thankful for everything that you do for us. We're thankful for your love and for your grace. And I recognize that I don't have it all together today. I recognize that I've got some sins in my life and sins in my past. And today, I ask for your forgiveness for those sins. I pray that you will forgive me and I recognize that you sent your son, Jesus, down here to die for my sins so that I would have the opportunity at eternal life. I recognize that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And I want to put him 
number one in my life. And I want to live for him that honors you. And for all of us, I just pray today that we'll take God's word and we'll use it as a filter in our lives. That whatever happens to us today, God, that we can turn to you, that we can lean on you, that we can lean on each other to filter in a way that exposes Jesus. That whenever people look at us in our world and in our sphere of influence, that people will see Jesus. God, I pray that we can change our worlds together. And by changing our worlds together, we'll be able to make a huge difference, difference in the world. God, we're so thankful for today. We're so thankful for everything you do. In Jesus' name we pray.